Last time, the kidnapped Rosso told Casper he had a plan to help resolve the ongoing rivalry between their crews, the Mexicans and the Italians. You better start telling me what you're getting at, Casper says. Okay, when John Stone was killed, by your guys by the way, your crew lost a viable source of income. I know how much we're talking about, and bottom line, it's significant. Okay, so what? I understand you're straight out of the pen. You get out, you fucking kill my boy Hollywood, kidnap me? Your boss is pissed, man. You probably want to get on Lowe's good side right now. Casper sighs impatiently. Hear me out. Hear me out. Denny Allen. Who the fuck is that? Denny Allen. The guy sells kitchen equipment to half the restaurants west of the Mississippi. You know where he gets most of his inventory? Mexico. Denny Allen? A year or so back, this guy got into some trouble, needed our help. We did him a favor and he owes us big, like forever. Now, I'm always out to Kansas City, so I've been his contact and his landlord since then. You want to get product moving from your cartel guys down south? This guy's the guy. You think it's that easy? He's already doing it. He brings in cheap pharmaceuticals inside commercial ovens or whatever, sells them to wealthy businessmen in the Midwest. If this guy's so perfect, why aren't you guys using him already? Oh, we are. We are. But there's room for another guest at that party. Vinny will be open to it. Or else why the fuck would I be telling you? Casper thinks for a moment. If this actually checks out, we might be able to move on this. Yes, brother. Listen, you haven't won anything, brother. Casper gets all up in Rosso's face. He's looking him in the eye. You'll be lucky if you're breathing when all this is over. It's nighttime as Bob pulls up to Stone Automotive. Turning down the radio, Bob finishes his cigarette, earnestly staring at the main entrance. He grabs his gun and old police badge and gets out of the car. Carefully walking through row after row of new cars, Bob finally comes to a stop near a rear service door. Bob pulls out a metal wire and picks the lock. He walks inside, using a small flashlight to navigate the darkness. He comes up to a door. The insignia on it reads, John Stone. Bob opens the door, has a look around with his flashlight, and notices that the place has clearly been searched. He turns on the overhead light and walks in. Standing behind the door is PCO, with his gun held up against his face. After taking a few steps into the room, Bob pauses for a moment, takes a deep breath, and quickly turns with his own gun drawn, now facing PCO. Who the fuck are you? I might ask you that. Listen, pal, why don't you put that gun down and tell me what you're doing here? 
I suppose you and I are here for the same reasons. I'm not going to repeat myself much longer. You need to put that gun down and start talking. You plan on lowering that cannon at the same time? Not until I know what you're doing here. Bob looks PCO over and considers. Now why would a federal agent be snooping around car dealership in the middle of the night? Hmm. You think you're in any position to be asking questions? That's a standard issue, Smith and Weston, you're holding. Used by just about everybody in law enforcement that I've ever met. You're making a lot of assumptions for a guy that's got a gun pointed at him. That makes two of us. Look, it's simple. You're either police or working for the Italians. For both our sakes, let's hope you have a badge. You police? No. Used to be. PCO hesitates and starts to lower his gun. Okay, tough guy. Gun's coming down. I suggest you do the same. Bob slowly puts his gun to his side. The tension in the room flattens. Both Bob and PCO take a sigh of relief. PCO closes the door as he walks towards Bob. He takes out a pack of cigarettes and offers one. Thanks, but I have my own. Bob lights up a lucky strike. I don't think I got your name, pal. The name's Bob. Bob Hollister. You mind telling me what you're doing here, Bob? (sighs) Let's just say I'm personally invested in this case. Well, I guess here's the million dollar question. What have you managed to find, Bob? Not a heck of a lot. Why don't you fill me in and we can compare notes? <laughs> Let's assume for a moment you're right about who I am. If it's true, then you know I wouldn't be at liberty to discuss an active police investigation. Just outside, Mickey and Ronnie have quietly entered the dealership. Now, they're approaching John's office door. First off, to anyone whose spirit animal is fox or better, you can join the Dirty Dragons for their meeting every Saturday afternoon at 3. That's fox or better. The Dirty Dragons welcome you with open wings. Now, thank you for coming, everybody, to another Meeting of the Other Worlds. Today's topic is Dinosaurs. As always, let's first open up the floor. Has anyone in this room ever seen a dinosaur? No. That's because they ain't real. Well, they're extinct. Something that big going extinct? You seen the teeth on those things? The wings? There would still be dinosaurs here if they were ever here. 
Dinosaurs were the aliens' first attempt at raising life on Earth. And they're gone. It was a failed attempt. This went on for some time. A man then read a paper called Pterodactyl Assholes. A woman performed an interpretive dance, channeling the energy of a baby velociraptor with intense vocalizations. Afterwards, John Arbor Franklin and Rachel started talking. A painter. Wow. It's an expression of the highest order. Rachel and John Arbor Franklin are standing outside the store talking. John Arbor Franklin takes a piece of paper out of his pocket and starts casually but carefully folding it as they talk. I only hope to paint something great, someday. But I know what our limitations are. Limitations? He continues to delicately fold the paper as Rachel stands there, mesmerized. Let's face it, we're a hopeless species, right? We're smart enough to make guns and bombs, but dumb enough to do something real bad with them. Phew. Yeah, I know what you mean. Sometimes I wonder how we get along at all. John Arbor Franklin puts the paper to his thigh and makes another small fold. People on a personal level might disappoint you. But in the bigger sense, humans can do great things. We have the potential to rise above, if we make the effort. Hmm. Well, how do you think we rise above? John Arbor Franklin looks at her sharply, deep in the eyes. The last time she'd seen that look was in Jason's eyes, the day she left. You learn from the right sources and open your mind. He makes one last fold against the brick wall, makes a few adjustments, and reveals an origami dinosaur, a velociraptor to be exact. He gives it to Rachel. Oh my god! How can you do that? I can teach you. Do you have trouble speaking to the fairer sex? Hi, can I buy you a drink? Get lost, creep. Try Tips from a Lifetime Ladies Man, the new book by Roy Eagleman. He knows a woman inside and out. I do. Every introvert. That's right. He'll have you understanding a woman in no time. A woman's like an onion ring. Fatty and salty in all the right places, but deep down, completely hollow. Still having your mother dress you? He'll take care of that. Turtlenecks are a perfect cover-up for last night's hickey. Not only that, they scream sophistication. Struggling to keep up on current events? Not anymore. A lot of women these days are concerned that robots will become smarter and overtake us. You want to impress a woman, outsmart a robot. 
He'll even have you impressing those sciencey bookworm types. Hey, any language she doesn't speak is a language you can claim fluency. Chinese, Portuguese, Swahili. It doesn't matter. Up your intellectual value with a foreign language. Then you'll have her speaking the language of love. You'll be swimming in women, so make sure to bring a life preserver. Tips from a Lifetime Ladies Man, the new book by Roy Eagleman. Oh wait, he's not done yet, folks. Tip 191. Show up to a date bleeding. She'll relate to that. And it's a universal conversation starter. There was this one time, on his last movie, we switched places for a day. I was Andreas Ebner, and he was my stunt double. Fooled everyone on set. If you look real close at the sequence of Deltron, you'll notice that in the scene where he steps out of the alien spaceship, it's actually me. Wow, that's funny. I can't believe the director never caught it. Lindsay is on a date, a first date, with the woman he met at the movie party, actress Kate Rosebush. This movie's a big part for you. Mr. America, starring Kate Rosebush. And, uh, oh, I guess Andreas Ebner's in it too. It could really put you on the map. I don't like to think too much about that stuff. I just want to be an actor. Okay, real quick. Don't think, just say it. Nicole Kidman? Or Sharon Stone? Um, Sharon Stone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Bologna or salami? <laughs> salami. ACDC or The Carpenters? <sighs> oh, ACDC. Lindsay gives her a high five. Okay, you did good. Did I? Okay, good. Lindsay and Kate Rosebush are eating at Dantana. It was Lindsay's idea, and they walked in digging the old-school Italian vibes right away. Tonight's specials, the waiter says, are eggplant parmesan and a lovely grilled veal chop. They ordered, then Kate Rosebush went to the ladies' room. When she came back, she was looking as pale as a ghost. Can we please leave? We, uh, just sat down. I just... We need to go. I can't be in here right now. Is it something I said? You're not listening to me, okay? I can't stay here. Not with him. What's the matter? Ex-boyfriend or something? It's really no big deal. Can we please go? Okay, sure. Lindsay takes a swig of his drink, almost killing it in one shot, as Kate gathers her things. They leave the restaurant. I'm sorry, it's just that I saw the producer guy in there from the party and I just needed to get away. She proceeds to tell him about the guy, how he brought her to the party, exposed himself in the limo, and tried to blackmail her for a part in a film. Lindsay grabs her by the arm and they walk back to Dantana looking in through the window. 
Which one is he? Let's just go. It's okay. Just point him out. She points to one of the men seated at the bar. Lindsay walks towards the front door, goes inside, and walks up to the man at the bar. Kate is watching everything through the glass. Lindsay taps on the man's shoulder. He turns around, and Lindsay punches him in the face. The man falls off the chair, and Lindsay hurriedly exits the restaurant. The man is heard saying, My nose! My nose! As Lindsay exits Dantana. We better get out of here. They jog to Lindsay's car and drive off. I'm not sure how to say this, but... That wasn't the producer you punched. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not. Holy shit! I wonder who that guy was. Max and Trevor are walking up to their apartment building. They seem to be depressed about failing to steal that dino fossil for Farad. As they approach the apartment, the pair see an eviction notice stapled to their door. What the fuck, man? Why would Sal do this to us? It's not his fault, dude. We haven't paid the rent in like three months. Max and Trevor walk into their disaster of an apartment. Their trash hasn't been emptied in several weeks. There's mold growing on the mountain of dishes in the sink. And the skunky smell of stale cigarettes and weed blankets the entire living room. Trevor rummages through the cupboards while Max searches the sofa cushions and coffee table looking for enough crumbs to fill his bong. Trevor appears from the kitchen holding a box of Lucky Charms and a half-empty bottle of peach schnapps. Shit, dude, where did all our money go? Don't we have anything left to pay Sal? We just got two grand from Farad the other day. What the fuck are we gonna do? I got nowhere else to go. Hi, I'm your host, Roger Green, and it's time for another round of Shit Dude, Where Did Our Money Go? For today's show, we have Los Angeles scumbags Matthew Stevens and Trevor McCarthy. Eager to find out just what the hell happened to all their cold, hard cash. Okay, you two. I take it you already know how this game works. So if you don't mind, I think we'll jump right in. Trevor, you won the coin toss backstage, so you get to pick our first category. Okay, Roger. I guess I'll go strippers and blow for 500. Great choice. Here's your first question. After Max and Trevor received $2,000 from Farad for a stolen Rolex, they went back to the Rhino Strip Club. It was a wild night of beer, breasts, and blow. How much did you two knuckleheads spend at the Rhino? A. $257 B. $643 or C. $1,135 Damn, dude, this is a tough one. I had at least five lap dances. I tipped Mount Lee pretty well and bought her a bunch of Long Islands. We walked into the Rhino with close to $100 in singles. Roger, I'm going to go with B, $643. That's correct. Wow, he did it, folks. Hey, didn't I see you guys in the opening credits of Cops? 
I'm just messing with you. Okay, Matthew, it's your turn. Please make a selection. All right. I'll take Aquarium City Pet Store for $100, Roger. Matthew, it looks like you've selected our bankruptcy bailout bonanza. If you get this one right, you'll double your score. Are you ready? Let's do it, Raj. Okay, here it is. Before going to the Rhino Strip Club, Max and Trevor decided to visit Aquarium City to pick up that lionfish they had been talking about. While there, they spent A, $59, B, $124, or C, $382. Well, I know we got that lionfish for sure, but I can't remember if that was the only thing, man. Gosh. All right, I'm going to go with A, $59. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew. But the correct answer was C, $382. You and Trevor apparently bought an iguana and a couple of sea slugs as well. Not to mention a large aquarium with neon lights and an underwater pirate figurine. Gee whiz, you guys spend more money than a peanut butter sandwich at a jelly factory. Okay, Trevor, this is your last chance. Please pick a category. All right, Roger. I'll take in and out for $300, please. Okay, here's your last question. After leaving the Rhino, Max and Trevor decided to quell Trevor's craving for a double-double. How much did you two spend? A, $18. B, $72, or C, $1,025. Oh, this is easy, Roger. I'm going to pick A, $18. Ooh, ouch. I'm sorry. The correct answer was C, $1,025. Max and Trevor were so completely blitzed after leaving the Rhino that they ended up at Bob's Big Boy Restaurant after having a lively conversation with their famous plaster statue, the two stumbled back to their car and passed out. A late night dishwasher noticed him after work, walked up to the car and saw the remaining cash sitting on their dashboard. He quickly pocketed it and left. Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Join us next time on Shit Dude, Where Did Our Money Go? Hey, Roger, what are you doing after this? How about a little puff puff? If you're packing, I'm puffing. What the hell, Rachel? Walker said you just walked off set. I'm sorry, Stacy. I just... Rachel, I did you a favor. Do you know how this looks? Things are happening. Finally moving in the right direction. Walker stuck his neck out for me. Ah, uh, what's with you lately? Stacy, the fucking producer grabbed me. He just put his hands on my chest like it was no big deal. That's Hollywood, Rach. This place is swimming with creeps. If they get a little touchy-feely, and that's the worst that happens, you'll be fine. It means you're getting somewhere. Maybe I don't want to get somewhere. What do you mean? I don't know what I mean. God, 
I mean, what's it all for? Run around town chasing parts and shitty commercials, hawking products, just so you can end up in a dressing room getting molested by some pervert? The first time is always the worst. But you have to pay your dues, Rage. We all go through it, especially us women. You bear it, shrug it off, and stay focused on the prize. Maybe that's what you're used to in Hollywood. But I don't know if I want to just shrug it off. Rachel gets off the sofa and walks towards her bedroom. Stacy starts to speak again and Rachel turns around. Listen, this may not be the best time to bring it up, but I'm moving out. Are you serious? Stacy looks down towards the carpet. Yes. Walker says it will be better for my image. Once things start moving on Mix and Mingle, he's going to set me up in a studio in Bel Air. So just like that, huh? How long have you known? That's not important, Rach. Wow. You get one big roll and suddenly you're too good for the rest of us? You better watch out, Stace. You're on your way to becoming just like them and you haven't even filmed a single scene. Oh, please, really? I didn't mean that, Stacy. It's just nothing's been working for me recently. Nothing. I really believed I could do it, you know? At least for a while I did, and then I saw it slowly go away, the hope of it. And I get this great part, thanks to you, and ah, I could just scream. Rach, I'm not going to say you didn't let me down today. I put my butt on the line. But I'm sorry you had to go through that. I know it hurts. Rachel sits down on her bed. Just, I think I need to be alone now. Good luck with your big show. Thanks. Listen, I paid next month's rent to give you some extra time. Stacy looks once more at Rachel, but she is staring off into space. Stacy heads to the apartment door and walks out. As the door shuts, Rachel turns to see an empty apartment. She looks back to her bed, and her eyes come to rest on a receipt from Mystic Globe Bookstore. Back at Stone Automotive Dealership, Mickey and Ronnie are standing outside the office, listening to PCO and Bob. Growing impatient, they burst in the door, guns drawn, getting the jump on Bob and PCO. Well, 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 seems like we're the last ones to the party. Keep your hands up, guys. We don't need any heroes tonight, Ronnie says. You see, my friend here and I are actually really interested in what you have to say. I believe it has to do with a certain manila envelope that's been missing ever since a couple of wetbacks iced our mutual friends. And to tell you the truth, I'm getting pretty fucking tired of having to look for this thing day in and day out, knowing full well that some assholes are out there laughing behind my back. Mickey looks over to Bob. So how about it, Grandpa? Do you have my envelope? There's only silence in the room 
Bob and PCO look at each other and then back at Mickey and Ronnie. Mickey is starting to get irritated. Listen up, assholes. I want you to think long and hard about what you love most in this world. Because if we don't get what we're looking for, the barrel of this gun is going to be the last thing you'll see. Clearly, we don't know anything. That's why we're here, Bob says. Okay, okay. Let me start over. I'm going to make this as simple as possible. We're looking for an envelope that was in John Stone's safe. And I'm pretty sure one of you either has it or knows where it is. If we don't get some type of information right here and now, you're both dead. Ronnie speaks up. Maybe there's another way? Are you serious? You heard Vincent? He said get the envelope at whatever the cost and these clowns know something, so spill it. I'm not saying that isn't true. I'm just saying maybe you let me lean on them for a bit. I'll beat the piss out of them. I'll get them to talk. No, absolutely not. We've been playing these fucking games for months now. I'm done. Bob is trying to weigh all his options. PCO is wondering if his draw is still fast enough. Bob starts to speak. Yeah, I have the envelope. But you're not going to like what's inside. I don't fucking care what's inside. It doesn't belong to you, and we need it, so hand it over. Bob slowly reaches into his pocket, pulls out the envelope, and tosses it onto the desk. Mickey walks towards the desk, picks up the envelope, and opens it. Before he can look inside, Ronnie shoots him in the head. Mickey falls to the ground. Ronnie steps back against the wall, slides down, placing his hands over his face as he comes to rest on the ground. PCO approaches Ronnie. It's okay, Jimmy. You saved our asses. It's okay? Everything is far from okay. My fucking cover is blown. The last two years of my life down the shitter. Listen, Vincent still doesn't know you're undercover. We have the envelope, right? He walks over to Bob. I take it you know what's in here, don't you? Bob nods. Good, so here's what we do. Don't you get it? Do you not see a dead Mickey lying on the floor? That's Frankie's fucking nephew right there. How the fuck am I supposed to hide the fact that he's gone? I am fucked. You think Vincent is going to believe some story that Mickey is missing? He'll kill me for sneezing, man. I'm not about to let this whole thing fall to pieces. Not when we're so close. We can make this mess go away. All you have to do is lay low until the next shipment of cars arrives. We'll just have to move our plan up ahead of schedule. Absolutely not. I am done. I'm over this shit. Take me back to the station. I'll tell them everything I know, but I'm finished with this case. Come on, man. Get yourself together. Remember what's at stake here. We're just one final step away from bringing these fuckers down. You back down now, and you'll be letting those fucking goombas get away with everything. When you have an opportunity, you make your way to the warehouse, 
steal one of the cars, and drive it to the safe house. That's exactly my point. I'm a target now. Suddenly, Mickey goes missing, and I just show up at the warehouse. By tomorrow morning, Vincent will have his entire crew looking for both of us. I know it's asking a lot, but I'm sure you'll come up with a way. Just remember what this case can do for your future. Just get me that car and it will all be over. You'll be out and we'll have our case. PCO bends down to look at Ronnie. Real name, James Ricci. Eye to eye. You can do it, soldier. Now get the fuck out of here. Ronnie stands up, straightens his pants, and walks out of the room. PCO turns to Bob. Well, when was the last time he had to get rid of one of these? 